We've been in our series now for several weeks. One of the things that we really wanted to do in our series was help us to focus on the fact of there's people around us who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Raising the awareness of that. And it's been just so good over these last few weeks to hear you telling stories about how you are sharing hope with those around you, people in your family, people at the workplace. And you've been able to share that with so many of us. And man, it's just so good to hear how, what, what you're doing and how God is leading you into that place of sharing the good news and the hope of Christ. And we want to keep that up. That's what we're about. How do we keep that focus? Today, we conclude our series by looking at the last chapter of the gospel. Of Luke. So we've been in Luke for most of these series. Well, I think for all the sermons out of this series. But here we're in the last chapter, the very end of the chapter, chapter 24, starting verse 44. We're talking about this whole idea of, of sharing hope. And, and, and the setting here is, is the, the last time Jesus is going to be with his disciples. He is with them and he is giving some of the instructions of what they will be doing and who they are and what they're about. And one of the things that we find in Scripture, we go back to, to Matthew's book, and, and Matthew tells us early on in his writing about the disciples hearing from Jesus and Jesus saying to them that he wants to make them fishers of men. Right? He, he starts that really over in Matthew chapter 4. He begins that whole process of calling them out and saying, you need to be fishers of men. Right? That goes all the way through Matthew, and we see that really in all the Gospels. At the end of Matthew, uh, he, he tells them again, he calls the Great Commission. We know it uh, as the Great Commission, where he tells them that they should be going to all the nations. They should be teaching and preaching and baptizing in the name of Christ. And then in Acts chapter 8, well, a lot of Acts, but it really in chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we begin to see the, just the dispersion of the disciples and the followers of Christ all over the nations. They're, they're, they've, they're going now. They're, they're going out to do what Christ has told them that they need to be about. Today we conclude this sermon series here in Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at this passage because in this passage, he gives us some real strong uh, affirmation of who we are, and what God has done in our lives, and what we should be about. So we're going to look at some of the words in this passage. We're going to try to understand it a little bit more. Uh, in your phone, or on your phone, or on the app, or in your bulletin, the listening guide, whatever you are going to use today, there are some words we'll fill in. There are some things we'll look at. You can take notes inside that. Just to begin with, the, to see what he has in mind for us as his witnesses. That's really the title of the message. You are witnesses. And as we read this passage, you'll see where we get that from. So if you have your Bible with you, you can look at Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. That verse 48, you are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have clothed, till you have been clothed with power from on high in regards to the Holy Spirit that we find occurs in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. In this verses, 
Uh, Jesus has been setting the stage. Of course, and Luke has taught us in chapter 24. At the beginning of chapter 24, he has shown us the resurrection, right? Christ is raised from the dead. And then a little bit later in this gospel, in this chapter, he has told us about the walk to Emmaus when Jesus is on the road, on the path with these two guys, and they're talking about what's happened in Jerusalem or what's happened in Jerusalem with the crucifixion and Jesus being raised from the dead. How can that be? And Jesus, it says, opened their eyes so they too might be able to see and understand. And then we have Jesus appearing with the disciples here. And that starts down in verse 36 of this passage. And he's with them. They, he walks into the room with them. They weren't expecting him. And he, he comes in. They've been talking about him. They knew that he had raised from the dead. Some of them had seen him at this point. In this particular passage, we don't really know how many people are in the room. It talks about his disciples. Uh, We don't really know if that's 10 disciples, 11 disciples who's in the room at this point. Uh, Of course, Judas has died already. And so it could be more than that. We know that when Jesus rose from the dead, up to 500 people saw him. So how many were in this upper room when he came inside? Now, it does say, it gives us some some great things in this passage. The, The first thing that he tells us in verse 36, if you look at that at the end of verse 36, he says, peace be with you. That's a great point, not even part of the sermon, but it's such a good piece because really when Jesus comes into our lives, what he brings is peace for us. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on in our culture, a lot of things that go on in our lives, a lot of difficult things that we go through. But man, one of the greatest things that, that we have to recognize is that when Jesus steps into our life, as he does here in this verse. He steps into the room. He steps in with the disciples. When Jesus steps into our life, he brings peace. He always does. So when you go through problems, when you go through struggles, man, the greatest thing that shows our Christian witness is the peace that we get to talk about. The peace that we get to say, Jesus is in me. Now, I may not like what I'm going through. I may not like the, uh, the health issues that I'm dealing with or the death of a family member or the marriage breakup or the financial collapse. I mean, nobody likes that. I mean, that's just not something that we look for. But as followers of Christ, when Jesus steps into that, he brings peace in the middle of those problems. You can always just count on it. You can always look at it. You can always know that that's what he wants to do in your life. If there are things going on and you are a follower of Christ, know that his desire is to bring peace into your life. If there's not peace into your life, you begin to say, why? God, why, why is there not peace in my life? And, and then the first question you begin to examine is like, where is Jesus in my life? Because the Bible would teach us that when Jesus is in my life, there is peace. And that didn't take away the problems, that didn't take away the hurt, the anguish, any of those things. But it takes to the place where we know that the peace that he gives goes beyond our ability to understand. That's what scripture tells us inside that. Well, I move away from the message today because our message is on you are witnesses to share hope. But really, you can't share hope, right? Unless Christ has given you that peace. Because when he gives you that peace, it's so much easier to share the hope that's in Christ. So he tells them here in this passage, they get into this. Here he is in the room with them. And he says to them, first of all, he says to them, this is what I've told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalm. Number one on your listening guide is attention must be given to the learning 
the word, to learning the word of God. Now, in this particular passage, he tells them that there's the law of Moses, there are the prophets, and there are the Psalms. So what Jesus has done in this passage, in the very first verse, he has told these in the room, who are mostly, if not all Jewish, that everything they know about the Bible, everything they know about the Bible is not the New Testament, of course, like we have, it's the Old Testament, right? So they understand the Old Testament. Jesus here says there's three big sections in the Old Testament. We just know that to be a fact, academically, there's the law of Moses, which is the Torah, the five books of Moses, and they gave all the law, and all those in the room understood that that's the law. The second part of the Old Testament that they understood were the Psalms, or wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, um, those things that were, that they would see are, was called wisdom literature, that they could, they could learn from that, Proverbs was a part of that, and they knew that's what the Psalms were about, right? They were going to give them encouragement, and they were going to be thankful, and they were going to hear praise and inside that. And then the other part were the prophets, right? We see it in the, our Old Testament. The prophets come after wisdom literature. Uh, they're the major prophets because of the length of their books. The minor prophets like Hosea or Jonah, um, Micah, some of those are considered the minor prophets because of the length of their book. Jesus says in this passage that everything is going to be fulfilled that was in the law, that was in the prophets, that was in the Psalms or the wisdom literature. What does he mean by that? Well, he simply means this that everything in the Old Testament was going to point to, Jesus, to him, to Jesus. Everything that we read in the Old Testament always points to Christ. There's nothing in the Old Testament he would tell us in this verse. It gives us clear understanding that whether it's the law or the prophets or the Psalms, they're all going to point to him as the Messiah, as the one who has come. And so it gives us a great understanding and we begin to learn the word. They begin to have their eyes open to the Old Testament, being able to say, it's pointing to Jesus, right? So, and for us, it's the same thing. It's pointing to Jesus. What we learn, what we learn in scripture, how we learn scripture in our life, it's always going to to point someone to Christ. That's what, it, that's what it's about. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you have learned or have heard of something called the Roman road. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Roman road. Uh, I, I remember learning the Roman road a long time ago, and it's just really five, five verses in the book of Romans. Now, it, we moved to the place where you didn't have to necessarily memorize them. You could also mark your New Testament, you know, so you could call the Mark New Testament. And you could turn, for example, to Romans 3.23 that says, uh, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what that says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you want to mark your New Testament, you say, well, at the bottom of that page, then you move to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which simply says for... Um, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? That's Romans 6, 23. And you can put a note to say, now turn to Romans 5, 8, because in Romans 5, 8, it says that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ demonstrated his love to us while we were yet sinners and died for us. So it gives us an understanding that we are sinners, that wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and then... Christ demonstrated his love toward us. Why we were sinners, he died for us. And then we go to Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your hearts, believe in your mouth that Christ has been raised from the dead, you will be saved, because with the heart, uh, belief unto righteousness, with the mouth, confession unto salvation. So it's Romans 10, 9 and 10. And Romans chapter 13, sim- or chapter 10, verse 13, simply says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So five verses that are so easy to memorize, five verses that just work into our lives 
So that when we memorize and learn Scripture, when we're talking to someone, see, the Bible says that the Scripture is what makes the difference, right? It's, it's getting Scripture into people's lives that they begin to hear, hear what Scripture is saying. So Jesus here has said, everything you have learned from me, I'm opening your mind to understand Scripture. And so that's what we have to be about. We have the New Testament. Uh, the Holy Spirit might speak into our life. There's never going to be a time when the Holy Spirit's going to speak contrary to, to the Word of God. He's never going to do that. Matter of fact, He's going to most likely point us to the Word of God, the Bible that we have. And so that's what He is doing in our life. So we begin to say, our attention is on the Word of God. And the Word of God is what makes the difference. The Word of God is what helps us. But all those things point to Jesus. All those things move us to what Christ did. Now look at the next verse when he tells us what that is about. They've written about me. He opened their mind. And the next thing we want to say is that we must allow the Spirit to give you, us, to give you an evangelistic burden. That's what he says in verse 46 and 47. In verse 46, he told them after this that this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, inside this, what he has done here is given them an understanding of who he is and what he has done. And he is saying to them, now you have to develop a desire, that heart in us to say, how do we share faith with those around us that we work with in our families, that we're around every day who need to know Christ, who need to know him. He tells us in this verse, as we read through it, the first thing that he begins to tell us is who he is, that he has written the Christ will suffer. Now, remember, I said that in this room are his disciples. Don't really know who they all are, but probably the vast majority, may, maybe all of them, are Jewish. And so when he talks about repentance, when he talks about the thing of being repentant, for them as Hebrews, it really was the understanding that actions had to change. First of all, they didn't really think that Jesus was going to come and suffer, right? I mean, that's what, he, that's what he starts this whole little verse with right here. He says, and this is written, the Christ will suffer. Christ was the Messiah. It's the word used for Messiah. They believed in the room, those who are hearing, that, hey, this Messiah, he's not going to suffer. He's going to come back, and he's going to take over Rome, and we're going to be this mighty nation of Israel that we had been back in the past, and all those things are going to happen. And Jesus really flipped that. He went counterculture on them completely, right? I mean, he said, You're, it's not, I'm going to suffer. The suffering servant has come. He quotes from Isaiah 30 or 53, that whole idea of a suffering servant. And he said, look at this, this Messiah that you thought was going to come in and have this nation of Israel back. That's not the Messiah that's here. The Messiah that here is one who has suffered, who has, who has been killed in his suffering. They would not have expected that in a million years, right? This Christ was coming back in power and glory and strength. He was not going to suffer. He was going to lead them to be a great nation. And all of a sudden, Jesus says about himself, no, he uses this word Christ here as a word for Messiah. He recognizes himself and tells them that he is the Messiah, which is completely counterculture of the guys in the room. Because they had thought all along that they were, they were following after Jesus who was going to come. And, and even still, when you read some of the things that they write, they thought once he's raised from the dead, it's gonna, the same thing's going to happen. 
that they're going to now be able to take over Rome and be this empire again that they were back in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, no, that's not what's going to happen because repentance and forgiveness of sin is going to be preached to all nations. Well, that threw them too, right? Because they weren't used to going to all nations. They had their own little group. It was about us and no more, right? It was the, the Jewish group. And now Jesus is saying it's going to go to all nations. We see that really begin to happen, like I said earlier, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, when they were scattered among the nations and the gospel began to go to the Gentiles and even to us today are recipients of that word. So here we find Jesus saying that evangelistic heart, that, that heart that we have to have, that burden that upon us to share this repentance of sin, repentance in that Hebrew mind was a change of action. Now in the Greek mind, uh, it was a change of thinking. If the Greek person heard this, they would use that term repentance with the way you think. The Hebrew person would use that word repentance in the way you act. For us, as followers of Christ in the 21st century, it's got to be both. Because we've got to be the kind of people who go counterculture. Because our culture is very different. Not that we remove ourselves from culture. We never see the disciples or Jesus, anyone removing themselves from culture. They stayed in the culture. They lived within the culture, but they spoke into the culture about the hope that is in Christ, about the repentance of change of mind and change of action that will allow them to say to other people, let me share the hope of Christ that's in my life with you. And so that evangelistic heart, burden is the word I put. How do you have a burden for somebody in your family? How do you have a burden for somebody that you work with? How do you have a burden for someone who needs Christ? Third is an authentic faith means living a consistent Christian life. Authentic faith means living a consistent Christian life. I've said already that this, men, this term repentance has to do with thinking and action, right? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it has to do with our thinking as well as our action. But living that out day by day. Living that out so that people might see our lives and see what's going on in us. In verse 48, he says, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. I had a friend recently who uh, went to another country and they were crossing the border. Not so much going into that other country, but actually coming back into the United States. And as we were having this conversation, they had gone on this mission project, and as we were having this conversation, he said he'd never done this before. It's the first time out of country, and uh, he had come back in, and he'd been to a, a country where, well, it didn't matter, but he, he came back in the country, and he said, here's what his quote, he said, when I came back in, the customs agent kept asking me the same question in different ways. And he said, it kind of took me by surprise. You know, he asked me that question, and then he'd say a couple of things, and then a little bit later, he'd ask me kind of the same question. Basically, what have you been doing? Where have you been? What have you been doing over there? That kind of thing. But he kept asking in different ways. And he said, this really surprised me. Now, we'd try to coach him some on what it means to come back in country and how do you do some of that. But he said, I'm just really surprised by that. And so we talked about that a little bit. And of course, they do that. We know that. Why do they do that? Well, they do that to make sure your story stays consistent right? 
Because if they hear you change your story or change your answer or say something different, then they're like, okay, then what's going on here, right? There's got to be consistency in the story, consistency in what you're saying. I'm not saying you make up stories, but they, they hear lies inside that and they hear untruth, right? We, you do that in the lawyer's office, right? If you go to a lawyer's office, do a deposition or in a courtroom, the lawyer may do the same thing. He's going to ask different questions. They're all going to be around the same answer, for what reason? To see if we're telling the truth. That's the word that Jesus uses in this passage. He says, you are my witnesses, and witnesses have to be consistent in the answer. Now, he's talking to those in the room who were disciples. He was talking to those who had seen him die on the cross, raised from the dead, and now he's in the room with them, right? So their view of witnesses was that firsthand experience. Well, we don't have that. We don't have that firsthand experience, yet he tells us that we're to still be his witnesses. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from your life. It comes from how you understand your own repentance, how you understand your own forgiveness of sin. Because when you understand your own repentance and the forgiveness of sin that only comes through Christ and he creates in you a new person like the Bible says he does, then your witness, your story about who Christ is in you is going to be the witness you get. And does that change? No. When you became a follower of Christ, and I'm not saying you have to have some incredible testimony of, you know, I was this and this and this and this, and then God saved me out of that. He does that for some people. He doesn't do that for others. Some grow up in the church, and they come to the realization that they are sinners, and they need Christ, and they repent of that, and, and they become a follower of Christ, right? So there's different stories, but that doesn't matter. The point is your story. What do you share with those people when you're sharing hope about what Christ has done for you in salvation, how you have understood his forgiveness, how you understand who you are in him, how you understand how he has forgiven you of your sins, how you understand that you will spend eternity with him? Because it's not about just how we live on this earth and the fact we're going to spend 70, 80 years on this earth, and then that's all. Um, we're going to spend eternity with God, and that's what he's talking about here. Authentic faith means living a consistent Christian life. Three things under that. Build bridges to share hope. And that's very important. Build bridges with friends, with relatives, with neighbors. Building a bridge into their life. We do that as a church. We find ways to build bridges. Hopefully, if you're new here today or new here for in a while, you found our church to be open and friendly and helpful. Why do we do that? Building bridges into the lives of people. So that somewhere along the way, we might become friends. Somewhere along the way, we might hear your story of where you are in your relationship to Christ. Somewhere along the way, we might tell you what we believe about who Christ is and the fact that he can give to you eternal life. We build those bridges. We're watching for opportunities to share hope. Uh, you find that in lots of ways. You find that wherever you might go. How do you, how do you respond to people in the grocery store or a coffee shop or at school or at work who, have, who are saying something? What opportunity do you have just just to be able to share your witness with them. Sometimes you don't have that opportunity, so the third word is to create the opportunity. Paul was a master of that when you read through the New Testament. He was always creating opportunities to share the gospel, creating them, finding ways, finding opportunities, looking for them. That's the key, right? How are you looking for these ways to share Christ? Well, fourth thing on your list, and an important part of what we do, Jesus said to us here in the last verse that we'll look at today, he said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Stay in the city, Jerusalem, until you've been clothed with power from on high, the Holy Spirit. 
write in, fill in these blanks because I think they are so vital. Always leave the results to God. Always leave the results to God. You see, our role is not to win someone to Christ, though we use that term in a good way. Our role is not to be successful and say, man, I I helped a person know Christ. That's always a great thing to do. I hope you have that opportunity over and over and over to help someone know what it means and how they become a follower of Christ. But in reality, it's not about us being successful. It's about us just being the witness that he calls us to be. See, in this passage, Jesus never tells them they're going to be successful. Matter of fact, he has already told them that they're going to die because they're going to follow him. They, they know that. They haven't internalized it yet. They don't know what that means. They don't know how much they're going to suffer. But he's already told them that that's going to happen. And see, in a lot of people's mind, there's no success in that. But the success is not what they did, or it's not the things that they were doing, or it's not ours. Our success is not how many times we get to share the gospel or how many times we see someone walk the aisle. That's not our success. The success is being able to share the hope that you have in Christ with your friends, with your neighbors, with your relatives, with your coworkers, with people around you, and then leave the results to God. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. When Peter preaches at Pentecost, if he had preached without the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing would have happened. Did he have his success? No, he was not successful, but the Spirit of God was successful in bringing people to himself. And that's what we're talking about here. It's talking about the understanding that, that the power of the Holy Spirit in our life leads us to the place where our role, our purpose is to look around at those that we come in contact with to say, do they need to hear the hope of Christ? There's a great story about a man in Chicago several years back. His name was Ed, Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher of a boys' class in Chicago. He was teaching the boys' class, and his goal, his goal was to see every boy in his class become a follower of Christ. And he knew that he had to share Christ with each one of them and to know where they were. That was his goal, stated purpose in his writing. So he went to those boys that he had been sharing Christ with us, saw them uh, come to Christ. But there was one boy in the class, and he tells us that he was really having a difficult with. He he didn't think the boy was hearing him. Uh, He just wasn't listening to him. And so he went to where the young boy worked, uh, a young man, a little bit older teen. So he went to where he was working at a shoe store. And Kimball says he goes into the shoe store, and he goes to the back where the boy is, and he puts his hand on his shoulder, and he just walks through the gospel with him. He tells him that God loves him, he can forgive his sin, that Christ died on the cross to pay for his sin. Christ rose from the dead so that he might have eternal life. He walked through the whole thing with him. And, And he writes that when he left that store, he was very disappointed. He felt like he had botched, that's the word he used, felt like he had botched the opportunity of sharing Christ with this young man. Well, that wasn't so true for Dwight Moody. That was D.L. Moody, because when he left that same store that day, His writing said that he came to an understanding of God's great love and salvation. And D.L. Moody went on to become probably one of the greatest evangelists in American history. Bill Graham might be up there with that for sure. But Moody Institute in Chicago, everything changed. Everything changed. I don't know if he even knew the name of Edward Kimball or who he was. It doesn't really matter. He would say, it doesn't matter. Nobody needs to know my name. Like the song we sang, it doesn't matter. Nobody needs to know us. But Kimball said the greatest thing was when D.L. Moody became a follower of Christ. He thought he had messed up. He thought he hadn't said the right words. But the Spirit of God was at work. And that's the most important thing. When the Spirit of God works. I want to ask one last question in conclusion today. Do you believe that Jesus saves 
or that culture is more powerful than Jesus? I find that to be a haunting question. Our culture is in great difficulty. There's great need. We see that all over the place. We hear about it from people all the time, right? You have people in your family and you think, man, I've been praying for my son or my daughter or my cousin or my brother or my nephew. You've been praying for them for months, for years. They haven't been saved yet. And sometimes you think they're overcome by culture, the lifestyle they're living, what they're doing, what they're going through. And sometimes in our mind, sometimes in our mind, we think culture is just more powerful than Jesus. It's just normal for us. But that really is the question. Do we believe that Jesus saves people or that culture is more powerful than Jesus? I've had to deal with that question over the last few days. And it's a struggle. It's a hard one because sometimes I I feel like, man, these guys will never come to Christ because they're so sucked into their lifestyle and their culture. What can we do about that? What can we do about that? Well, there's only one thing we can do, and that's to be a witness to share the hope of Christ, and to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, and that's bringing that person to Christ himself.